Thank you. Well, welcome. So, uh, folks, here's the thing. I'm a realtor by trade, and so I often have to deliver sometimes good news, sometimes bad, same t- sometimes both on the same time, okay? So I normally will do it like this. I'll call my client and say, okay, hello, Mr. and Mrs. McGinnis. Um, you know, I got good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? And uh, so church, I got good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? Uh, let me get a show of hands for the good. Show of hands for the bad. All right, we got a lot of people that didn't raise their hand, but the bad wins. I'm going to tell you, the bad always wins. Always wins. The downside, the bad side of the news I have to deliver to you this morning, you're stuck with me. <laughs> and you came to the second service. So the first service, I had to get off the stage by a certain time. <laughs> I hope you brought your lunch. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm so glad you are here with us this morning in this very place. The Holy Spirit is moving. It's present. And I'm so thankful for the growth that we are enjoying and having here. It's amazing. Um, I got to tell you, uh, Pastor Pete, because of the growth we're having, asked that I go through a little bit more of who I am. Because the last time I was up on the stage preaching was about year and a half, two years ago, and (laughs) we are half the size. So there's maybe a lot of you who don't know who I am. My name is John Spaschek, and as Joe said, I'm on the leadership council here, and um, my my wife, my beautiful, wonderful, amazing wife, Kelly, is, um, she's a school teacher, but don't make no mistake about it, that's not really who she is. That's what she does, but she is the living arm of God. She's amazing. And uh, we have a blended family. And a blended family is not always easy. And you're going to learn from my story today of some of the things that I'll share, how much of an influence she must have had uh, over the years. And so, uh, Kelly, I don't know where she's at right now, but uh, she's out there somewhere. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for the selfless, gentle wisdom and love that you give to all of us. She's settled in on this truth, that without the root, there is no fruit. And I'm going to tell you, my lovely wife is rooted. And I'm so grateful and thankful. Last night, we were able to celebrate 17 years of wonderful marriage, huh? Yeah, I'm a lucky guy. Very fortunate guy. So this up here, that's my name, but we're looking for a picture of my daughter right there. Look at that, okay? Uh, That is my daughter, wonderful, awesome daughter. She got married two years ago to a guy named uh, Tyler, who now has been welcomed into our family as a son. I'm so appreciative of that. And um, last August 4th, something happened. They gave us this. (laughs) They made me a granddaddy. Awesome. We love Vienna Grace. She's awesome. What a blessing. It's it's amazing to watch now them build their family. And uh, we'll be going down and spending Easter with them. We're so excited. So um, 
Next up is my son. My son's name is Logan. Many of you may know who he is. Um, he's 21 now. His hair is a little bit longer, though, than this picture. But um, I will tell you, he's an amazing guy. He has an organization that he founded, a nonprofit organization that he founded and he directs, and it's called Hope for the Hurt. And uh, he raises awareness and funds for the prevention of domestic violence. And I couldn't be prouder of him. In fact, on Sunday night, June 9th, we are going to have a Hope for, the event, Hope for the Hurt event right here at Life Church. And Logan will share his story from his eyes. And we will have special guest, Brothers McClurg, playing. Okay? So we're really, really, really looking forward to that. And so um, I said we were a blended family. And Kelly and I tried for some time to uh, have a child of, of our own. And um, the Lord finally blessed us. <laughs> Jonah is going to be turning six on May 10th. And he won't let you forget it. <laughs> he is the spitting image of me, this kid. It is crazy. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. But he reminds me every day that I'm to be the spitting image of Jesus. And we're all made in his likeness. And so it's a wonderful reminder that I get every day in this kid. It's, it's just crazy. So praise the Lord for that. Um, so one of the things that uh, happened when we first came to Life Church in 2013, we kind of sat on the bench for uh, a couple years. And uh, I just was thoroughly taking in our founding pastor's uh, Craig McLeod, his teaching. I mean, he's a man of God. And I was just soaking it up and drinking it up. And then one day, we come to church, and there's a guest speaker. <laughs> and the guest speaker was Pete Jankowski. <sighs> How do you like that? I'm like, I don't, we didn't know who Pete was. I'd never heard his name before. I had no idea who this guy was, but I'm going to tell you something. He spoke right to the core of me, blew us away. And within a year later, it was announced that Pete and Kelly Jankowski would be coming to Buffalo from Columbus, Ohio, to eventually take over as the lead pastor here at Life Church Buffalo. I had the privilege and the honor of being their realtor, okay? And so I had, in my efforts to help them relocate from Columbus, Ohio to Buffalo, I had the inside track on the vision that God had given to Pete. And I was just, at that time, man, Kelly and I were soaking it up. But once they got here and got settled, we, we started hanging out, and he downloaded some details of that vision to Kelly and I and asked us, if we would be torchbearers of this vision and to get involved. And we said, absolutely. Absolutely. And that vision is the WCO vision of Life Church Buffalo. Weekend, we are called in this vision to reach and teach with excellence. And so Kelly and I were asked, actually, we're 
Well, actually, technically, we were told <laughs> by Pastor Pete, you're doing this, and we accept it. And we teamed together, Kelly and I, and launched and led a team of guest services people, and it was awesome. And our goal was to make sure that everybody who walks through these doors is loved and accepted. We don't care what you look like. We don't care what you're wearing. We don't care where you've been. We don't care how high and holy you are or not. We want them all because Jesus can do it all. And we had a goal with that team to usher them in to a place where they were ready to receive something from Jesus. Well, that team has now blossomed into the amazing group of volunteers that we call our dream team of volunteers. These people are sacrificial. They're selfless. They, they're just full of caring. And I'm sure when you walk through these doors, you feel it. You sense it. And so can we just give a round of applause to that team? Awesome. So then Kelly and I had, um, we had a little bit of a vision of our own. And it fits so well into WCO. And so we skipped over to the O. And we love and serve with intentionality. So we said, okay, how are we going to do that with outreach? And we had, used to have an event back here called Fall Fest just for the church. And we had this vision of blowing it up and taking it right out to Seneca Street and causing traffic problems on Seneca Street <laughs> so that people would have to stop here at Life Church Buffalo and see what's going on. And we did that. We were about 200 at the time, and we actually got 100 volunteers to volunteer. That's, folks, I don't know if you know, but that, that's nuts. That does not happen at very many churches where you get 50% of the people who are attending to put a shirt on and go out and serve. Amazing. Now, you see what I'm saying about my volunteers? The ministries that we have would not happen without the volunteers. So we, we love them. Um, those 100 volunteers and that event attracted 2,000 people. Some of you are sitting right now in these seats as a result of that event. Praise the Lord. So we thank Pete and Kelly for allowing us to champion that vision. And we did it by kind of recruiting a bunch of other leaders. So it wasn't John and Kelly. It wasn't the John and Kelly show. It was the volunteers and a group board of leaders that did it. And uh, that's, that's becoming the largest fall festival in the South Towns. So next fall, we'll see you there. Uh, so today, Kelly and I are uh, embedded with or focused on the C part of the vision, which is to become, to belong and become with authenticity. And we host at our house a, um, a, a small group, we call it a life group, uh, called, we call ourselves the prodigals. <laughs> Shout out here for our prodigals here. Uh, it's such an amazing experience to be doing life with people. And we, we, we break open the word, we, we break bread together, we go to comedy shows together, we do all kinds of stuff together. It's, we do life, and that's our community to do life with. And I'm just so enjoying getting to know uh, 
my prodigal posse here. <laughs> uh, I, I love them so much. And uh, if you are not in a life group, hit the back wall, the green one, you can't miss it, and get yourself connected. It will change your life. It really will. It will change your life. Okay, I think I covered it, uh, the introduction. Let's get into the material now. And, you know, for those of you who haven't been here, Joe said we're in a series called The Darkest Hour, uh, dealing with statements that Jesus made on the cross. And in week one, Pastor Pete addressed the issue uh, of forgiveness. When Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And then in week two, he addressed how Jesus had gotten into conversation with one of the thieves on the cross, and Jesus was helping him. Now here he is, nailed to a cross, bleeding, cut open. I mean, he, was, he took him, his focus off of himself, and he looked at somebody else that was going through his same struggle, hanging on the cross, and he said, you will be with me in paradise today. And that's a a hint to us that no matter what you're going through, there's somebody else going through the same thing that you can help them with, okay? Week three, he dealt with how Jesus uh, looked down and saw his mother and John, the beloved one, of course, John was the only one who called himself that, uh, standing next to his mother, and Jesus looked down and said to Mary, this is your son now. And he looked down to John and he said, this is your mother now. And I think that's a hint that we, we, you know, we ought to take care of our own and love each other um, and make sure that the needs are being met in our body. Um, and so this week, we're going to address a very, very profound statement that Jesus made. It kind of pivots away, and the focus is a little bit more mm, confusing, maybe intense, um, but it's getting real. And it, 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 it deals in Matthew 27, um, verse 46. Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sapachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I want to dig into this, and I want to cover four things real quick. I want to cover the purpose of this statement, because I think it's often lost. Two, um, Pastor Chris Hodges from uh, Church of the Highlands. Uh, he's got a lot of material out. Great, great, great pastor, uh, Chris Hodges. And he, he, he's got three things, three trust things that we got to put our trust in three things when we're going in a dark hour. I'm going to share those with you. I'm going to try to get a little vulnerable with you today and share some of my own darkest hours. Would that be okay? I'm going to share with you three things that I focused on going through those and what I see some of the other people who are coming through trial successfully focus on so that you have something to take with you in your darkest hour. Okay? So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray, Lord, that um, you would open the minds and hearts and ears of everyone in this room that they would hear you. I pray, Lord, that I turn myself over to you right now, Father. I just, I surrender who I am, and I, I just turn myself over to you. Lord, use me as an instrument. This is about you. 
and speak your words, Lord. These are your words. May it touch and change someone. May it cause someone who is struggling right now to lean into you, to bring their struggle to you, to trust you that you might change their life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right. I believe if you are in a dark hour right now or you know someone else who is struggling and they're in a dark hour, that if you listen to this and you're willing to put pride aside, you will see God move. I believe that this might have the potential to transform the way you look at God. And so let's dig in. Jesus made this statement, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is tough. I mean, isn't Jesus God? So, you know, long time this statement baffled me. Like, if Jesus is God, doesn't he not know he's supposed to be all-knowing? Hello? He doesn't know that the Father didn't forsake him. And if so, why would he have made such a statement? And I think it's critically important that we understand that Jesus was known as the God-man, okay? He had to be human. Jesus wasn't allowed to exercise his Godship when he was on the cross. And the Father could not help him. And the Father had to kind of turn away so that Jesus can do and accomplish what he accomplished and that all of us could have the opportunity to be forgiven. Now think about that kind of love. In that moment, Jesus was separated from the Father. Okay? And I was talking to somebody after the first service and they said this to me, which is really pretty cool. Actually, Jesus in that moment because of his separation, saw the father not as father. He saw him as judge. And he felt forsaken. That's crazy. But the powerful thing is, it delivers to us the reason why he said it. And it provides for us an incredible model. And so the main point of Jesus doing this was to demonstrate exactly what we should be doing, which is to aim your hard questions to God, not man. Aim your hard questions at God, not man. That's the overreaching point of this entire message, folks. Let's go back a little bit, one verse, in verse uh, 45, Matthew 27. It says that from noon till three, darkness came over the land. Huh? In the middle of the day at high noon, Jesus' cross gets put in the ground with him nailed to it, and darkness covers the land. You want to talk about a dark moment? He says, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?
although probably not quite as a dark moment as Jesus experienced on the cross, we too have our dark moments, don't we? Whether it's through loss, disappointment, anger, resentment, we're hurting at times. And we don't have the answers. And sometimes it's because someone wronged us. And we ask God, why? Sometimes it's because we wronged somebody else. And we still might ask God, why? Why did you make me this way? Why did you cause me to do this? And we question. And we question. Sometimes, in that moment, it just doesn't make sense. So Pastor Chris Hodges from the uh, Church of the Highlands, a uh, big, big church, he, uh, he wrote a book, and in it he gives three things that we need to put our trust into that I think are very, very uh, truthful and very beneficial to this message. And I want to share those with you. So if, you have, if you're taking notes, this is the time to start writing. If not, you take your, uh, your, your smartphone out and take a pic on the screen. I'm going to put these on the screen. The first one is to trust in his nature. Trust in his nature. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. God's nature is love, it's forgiveness, it's acceptance. And sometimes when you're in your darkest hour, it can be very confusing and you need to trust the truth, even though your circumstances are telling you otherwise. So we have to, through trust, trusting his nature, we have to divorce our circumstances and marry ourselves to the truth of his nature. You with me? All right. Second is to trust in his promises. Trust in his promises. Second Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are a yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. All right. The third area to put your trust into is to trust in his destination. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says, therefore do not lose heart. Now I want to encourage you, go back and read the passage before that. It's pretty messy, okay? And so when it says therefore, that means there's something before, okay? We don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Not in an event, day by day. And our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. An eternal glory. And that will cause us to fix our eyes on what is unseen, not what is seen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Amen? <laughs> Now, these three trust statements are very, very helpful. They really are. But if you miss the point of the message, 
it's going to be very hard to trust in those things. You have to be willing to understand that you need to aim your hard questions at God, not man. Okay? Keep coming back to that. On June 27, 1972, I was six years old. And I was outside in my front uh, of the house, right across the street, there's a playground, and I was playing. And all of a sudden, I heard a very loud but familiar voice. And I looked up and turned around at six years old, and I seen my mom come running down the middle of the street on her way back to the house from a neighbor's, screaming, my brother, my brother, my brother. That was my uncle Jimmy, the coolest Harley-riding, charismatic, joke-telling guy on the face of the planet in my little six-year-old mind. He was on his Harley, and he slipped on some horse manure and flipped over into a ditch. And by the time the ambulance crew got there, he was DOA. And for those of you who don't know what that means, it's dead on arrival. So the crew called it in. And the dispatcher knew who he was. And she pleaded with them to do something. And they did an on-the-scene emergency tracheotomy. Now, in 1972, folks, they didn't you know, do that all the time, okay? Medicals come a long way. By the time they got him to the hospital, he had a pulse. But that was it. He would lay in surviving on machines in a coma for six weeks. I lost my mom on that day because she wasn't home. She was at his bedside for six weeks. And as a six-year-old little boy, I don't think there was ever a light on in our house. It was dark and it was hopeless. And my brothers and sisters and I went hungry. My life was ruined. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. It was my darkest hour at that point in my life. It was dark. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I didn't know God then. I didn't know anything about him. But had I, I probably would have questioned God just like that as I lived in that darkness. In 1999, I separated from my first wife, Shannon, I was not a very good husband. The marriage was not good. And so we proceeded to divorce, and we were living in New Jersey at the time, and she wanted to move back to East Aurora, where she's from. And uh, I agreed and followed 10 days later, and Western New York has been stuck with this Jersey boy ever since. I got to see the kids a lot. Things were good. I was very involved in their lives. I had a lot of visits. I could go to their doctor's appointments, all that. And then something changed. Shannon remarried. And at first, I thought it was a good thing. But soon, 
things changed. He was a very, very highly controlling and abusive man. He began to take over and dictate when I could see the kids. He systematically alienated the children from their father and me from them. My resentment began to build. My anger began to lead. I fought and fight in my might, in my flesh. And that allowed murder to grow in my heart. For the next six years, I battled in the family courts to fight for the kids' right to have a father and my right to raise them. Got to the point where Logan was even restricted from participating in extracurricular activities. Soccer was his thing. He could take a soccer ball and put it up in the air and keep it up in the air without it hitting the floor for probably an hour. What father wouldn't want that kid to play soccer? He loved it. I'd sign him up, they'd pull him out. The monster had a hold on the family and was not allowing him to play soccer. That was wrong. But I was able to work after a lot of time in the courts to get the visitation schedule to include that either parent could sign up either child for extracurricular activities that they so desired and whoever had the kids at that time of the activity, they would be responsible and obligated by the court order to take them. And so, victory at last! Right away, I signed them up for soccer. It was awesome. But they still refused to take them. They would violate the court order and force me to call the police. And the police can't do anything. They refer you back to the family court. And so back to the family court I was. The magistrate would say, you what? You called the police? Mr. Spaschak, that is not in the best interest of your children. I felt betrayed by the courts. My hands were tied. And I was deeply missing my kids. I was losing time, precious time. At some point, Logan became withdrawn and really struggled to know what was truth and what was not. I learned from the school later that he was voluntarily and secretly going to see the counselor at school just to reach out and get help because he was so confused and hurting. At his annual physical, Logan confessed to the doctor that he wanted to take his own life. Here I sit, alienated, confused, loss of control, betrayed by the courts. I had murder in my heart. And now my son is suicidal? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Chances are some of you here today are in a dark hour. Maybe just as heart-wrenching or more than my dark hour. 
Maybe you're in a deep financial straits and you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you're so depressed that you've lost all hope. Maybe you're contemplating divorce or going through one or now living with the stigma of one. Maybe you've lost a loved one. You don't know how you're going to cope. Maybe you don't see any purpose in your life and you wonder why you're even here. Whatever reason you're in your dark hour, I encourage you to do the exact same thing Jesus did. Aim your hard questions at God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Aim your hard questions at God. I believe one of the most profound things in scripture is this statement that he made. It's profound. Because he's supposed to be God, right? But he not only gave his life up as a human, but to be able to become human and give his life up so the sacrifice would work, he had to first give up his godship. You want to do that? Jesus loves us so much. He loves us so much. So when you're at the end of your rope, you're in your darkest hour, the Father wants you to cry out just as Jesus did. And sometimes it won't make sense. It won't make sense at all. We need to humble ourselves. We need to give up our pride. I fought for six years in the court before I did. It's crazy. First Peter 5, 5 through 7 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You get the grace by being humble. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Folks, if you study this in the Greek, you're going to see that that sentence is not in the passive sense. It's in the imperative sense, the command form. And Pastor Pete shared last week the true word of the word cast, which means to hurl or violently throw your cares at the feet of Jesus. He's telling us to do it. He's not suggesting it. Trust is what, you know, this is exactly what Jesus did on the cross when he said that. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave all of himself up. He laid his pride down. This is a model for us. I want to encourage you with three things that helped me and can help you and has helped many others, I'm sure. When God doesn't make sense when you're in your darkest hour, it's important that while you're going through it, if you're taking notes, you can do it now. These are going to be up on the screen. Take a picture. Learn. Learn. Hebrews 5.8 says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned through obedience from the things he suffered. That's, that's crazy. 
That's powerful. Second thing is to love. We have to remember to continue to love. Get out of your own skin. Get off of yourself and what you're going through and realize that somebody else is going through something similar. Go love them. It will help you. It will help you. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says that he comforts all us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Last thing is to worship. And man, I've been in tears over the songs that were played this morning. We have an incredible worship band, do we? It's like, <laughs> Hallelujah. In this song, it says, I will worship in my storm. <laughs> you know, worshiping God is a weapon. It's a weapon. So despite where you may be, no matter how bad it is, choose to worship. Choose to worship. And real worship is trusting God when things don't make sense. So after six weeks, my uncle finally woke up against all the odds. Doctors couldn't believe it. My mother took me to the hospital. Now, at that time, the kids couldn't get in the hospital. So they put me in the parking lot underneath his fifth floor window. And my mother pointed up and looked at, tell me what window is. I look up and, and there he is waving at me. My hope began to spring up again. I couldn't believe it. But after seven more years of hospitals and rehab, he was homeless. You see, at the time of his accident, he had three kids and was married, and his wife was pregnant with their fourth. But during the time he was enduring the hospitals, his wife divorced him and sold the house. He had nowhere to go, so he came with us. And he lived in my room with me. We shared a room. After a little while, he asked for a Bible. He, he was left with some brain damage, so we didn't even know like, whether, how much he could read or, or whatnot, and he lost some vision. He read for hours, days on a time. And then one day he said, somebody take me to a church. And my sister took him to Manahawkin Baptist Church and dropped him off, and Pastor Dave Murdoch shared the good news of Jesus Christ. He accepted Jesus. He began to memorize the gospel of John and would recite it to me every night. It was getting annoying for me. <laughs> but the power of his story won me over and I just wanted to be with my Uncle Jim. And so there it was one Sunday. I went with him. And I was sitting in that seat next to my Uncle Jim and Pastor Dave Murdoch giving that good news message again. I accepted Jesus. And And so we have to remember that that learn, love, and worship has to happen over and over again. We're on a journey. It's not an event. 
At 41 years old, I had a son who was being abused and was suicidal. I had to give up my fight and my flesh and finally turn it over. Lose my pride and become humble. Thankfully, I did. I got down on my knees and I cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, don't forsake me. I have no more answers. I don't know what to do here. I don't want to lose my son. Through a miraculous set of circumstances, within 18 hours later from that moment, I found myself in a pastor's office with his mother. And we decided to prosecute the case in the church instead of the family court. I then learned that she was being abused too. And within months, she was able to gain her freedom and divorced him. And during that time, because of the problems, she agreed that Logan could come live with Kelly and I. We got him into intensive counseling immediately. He did a lot of work. We just loved him through it. He went on to form his own, excuse me, his own organization called Hope for the Hurt, where he now provides awareness and education and resources to prevent domestic violence. But I had to lay it down. And Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path straight. Thankfully, I buried myself in that. I got out of my own way, and God showed me his way. He intervened, provided me with a path for hope and restoration. Last year, Logan accepted Christ into his heart fully. And if you were here, I had the incredible honor and opportunity to baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, church, my Uncle Jimmy, Logan, myself, are living testimonies to the fact that Jesus was not forsaken. If he was forsaken, these stories would have never occurred. Amen? Amen. He has gone back and been restored to his rightful place on the throne. And he has conquered death. And so when you feel forsaken, aim your hard questions at God. Jesus did. He felt forsaken. That's why he did it. Remember, he was separated for God in that moment. God promises to never leave us or forsake us, especially in our darkest hour. It was true for Jesus on the cross, and it is true for you right now. Do not mistake his silence for his absence. So church, aim your hard questions at God. Can I pray for you? Thank you, Lord, so much for the opportunity to share 
this message. I pray, Lord, that any seeds that have been planted, anybody that has felt spoken to by you, that you would put the right support around them, that they would come forward and lay their pride down at their feet and walk in humility, and they would cry out, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? and bring their questions and their anger and their frustration and their confusion and their disappointment to you and not man. And Lord, I pray that they would be able to trust in your nature. They would be able to trust in your promises and trust in the destination that you now are, where you sit for eternity. I pray that they would learn and love and worship you for the furtherance of your kingdom, Father. And all God's people said, amen. Church, thank you so much.